If you need him to make a house call, you're already in a lot of trouble. Doctor Strange, the Faust Gambit begins in March. By Roy and Dan Thomas, Jackson Guise, and Jose Marzan. Monthly from Marvel. TM, copyright 1989, Marvel Entertainment Group, Incorporated, all rights reserved. Your listener to our podcast, Jeff and Rick present Unpacking the Power of Power Pack. Where we journey through each issue of the most underrated Marvel series of the 80s while drinking beer. Analyzing awesome and amazing adolescent adventures and absorbing alcohol. I am Jeff. And I am Rick. We're off to see the banter, the random banter of Oz. Random banter time, buddy. <laughs> Tell me a tall tale of tantalizing, tantamountable adventures. Well, Jeffrey, I don't think we're in Oregon anymore. Yeah, you're right. We're not. <laughs> what we're COVID what ter- a <laughs> well-chosen one. I think you specifically chose that one for this issue. I did. I really I did. Think, I, I think you did, and I think I can connect that on yeah. up. And we will get to that soon we will. with your nice Wizard of Oz little special wavy <laughs> hand. I can't think of anything to say. <laughs> Because we are professionals, professionals, professionals. professionals. We are professionals, 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 professionals podcasters. All, all day long. <laughs> Follow the podcast road. La da 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 da. Hey, la da 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 da. Hey. <laughs> we are doing Zoom and not face to face like we used to do for a whole bunch of episodes because we are still in the middle of the COVID stuff because it is currently June 17th of 2020. We like to date stamp these now. Yeah, how did it get to be June already? And also, how many years have been in this six months? Um, well, my friend, it only has been, you know, three or four months that we've actually been in the COVID times. But uh, yes, you are correct. We are still in 2020, even though it does feel like it's been 20 and 20 years. (laughs) I keep seeing on my work, we, we do a lot of things by Skype now, and I... Right before all this started, I started in that position and I was like, I'm going to take a picture for my Skype thing. And I just got a haircut and my face was freshly shaved. And I see that come up and now I'm looking like I got this scruffy beard thing going on and my hair is really long. And I'm like, those, that's, that's, that's not me anymore. That's yeah. <laughs> not me. I have aged. Time has passed. Yes. As far as other random banter stuff, Jeff can see behind me in my room. It has gone from like clean and pristine office space to I just brought all of my stuff from work because they need to take our cubicles and repurpose them for other people to work on unemployment insurance. And so they're like, yeah, you guys come and take your stuff. So I came and took boxes of stuff out of my cubicle and I realized I have a lot of stuff at work. Or I did. (laughs) It is now all behind me. Now it's at home. And not only that stuff, but also this weekend, you have heard us announce it on here a few times. My favorite bar in Portland called The Nerd Out was a victim to the COVID and they had to close down. Uh, The owner, Mitch, he is going to be going forward and he's going to be doing some new adventures. He's keeping the Nerd Out brand alive. He's got some things in the work. I went down to the store on Sunday and he's kind of doing a closeout selling all of the toys and all of his stuff, all of the uh, dishes and food prep things. So he's selling all of that stuff. But I went down there, one to help support him in this transition time. And so I bought a bunch of stuff and I bought like, I spent 
a good chunk of change. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And I bought like one of his tables that he has there. This is one of the dining tables that he had. He built them all. He had uh, comic book covers placed inside and he lacquered over the top of them. So I've got this great nice table with all these comic book covers on it. I've got a giant juggernaut. I've got a a phoenix statue. I've got a Mar from Sin City little statuette. I've got a whip chain because, hey. Uh, (laughs) So I'm in the nesting phase of this thing, I think. I'm bringing more stuff into the house than I'm actually Mm -hmm. getting out. That That is my new thing, I believe. I also picked up like 10 pounds of comic books because... People brought in comic books, and he would just give them out, and he's like, you can't leave unless you take some stacks of comics. So I left with 10 pounds of comics, and I'm reading some old DC stuff that I've never read before. Mm-hmm. And like we were talking before, I, I read One More Day. Yep, Spider-Man. Not a fan. Makes a deal with Mephisto, with Tim Price. Never make a deal with Tim Price. Never That's what Price. it really never boils down to. Never make a deal with Tim yep. Price. Never make a deal. You'll never come out on top of that one. Nope. No, you'll end up you in a not. Mylar bag. Or... You will end up in a random banter of Jeff's choosing. The random banter that I am going to go into is the ongoing saga of the Stump Tooth. I've talked about this before. The Stump Tooth Saga, which, uh, again, Waffles had said that that would be a, a great metal band name, and I agree, so it's now my new band name. Basically, I had gotten a temporary crown put on a tooth. Two days later, it fell off. And then the world shut down. And so two months later, my uh, dentist called me up and said, hey, how would you like to get your permanent crown on? I'm like, you bet. That would be amazing and awesome. They're like, okay, cool. So I come in and they're like, oh, your tooth has shifted. This crown won't fit anymore. We got to get a new one. I'm like, cool. Well, let's put a new new temporary crown on. Okay, thank you. So they did. And then two days later, it popped off while doing such strenuous activity as drinking a glass of water. So call them, set up a new date. They're like, okay, come in. We'll glue it on again. That one lasted a half hour. Pop. (laughs) Go back in. They're like, okay, we're going to use a really, really permanent glue this time. We might have to cut this off your tooth. Is that okay? And I'm like, it beats the alternative. I would like to have the crown on there. Thank you. So I now have a temporary crown that seems to actually be staying in my mouth. So I'm very happy about that. So there's my random banter. It is uh, all about my stump tooth. I'm glad that you got your stump tooth in a place where... Things are a little better. Yeah. I hope that it hangs in there as we talk about comic books, and especially this wild and crazy one we're talking about tonight. <laughs> but before we can begin, Mr. Jeff, Mr. Cowboy Bebop, give us the two-sentence replay from last episode, if you would. All four of the Three Stooges are here to cause trouble for the two youngest members of Power Pack when their friend, the creator of the Googams, is brought in by the police for questioning about the missing $100,000 from her previous book's treasure hunt. Well, the not-working-together kids independently contracted the services of the Punisher and Dakota North to help them solve this caper, which sees them go to the lows of low-life bars and the highs of Curly's new mansion, which he bought with the ill-gotten gains of his masterminding the theft of the treasure money before it was buried and sought after by anyone seeking some fat stacks. Now that the Julie was out of town and Alex had a cold, so that's why they weren't in this adventure, two-sentence replay is over. Why don't you give me a beer and tell us what our power pack pick is? My pleasure, my friend. Are you ready for some magic? I am ready for some magic. I got my bag right here that says episode 61 elsewhere, so I'm opening. Are you ready for some rainbows, rainbows and unicorns? And unicorns. <laughs> rainbows and unicorns, India Pale Ale. This is a uh, 
uh, crazed-looking, cartoonish... I think it's actually, it's a cartoon person in uh, one of those fake unicorn hat, you know, like uh, head masks. Yeah, and, and he's wearing a uh, pinstripe jacket with yep. some uh, professor patches on the on the yep. uh, elbows, and a he's got a rainbow pin up on his uh, lap, lapel, yep. and he's got a crumpled up rainbow high. Yeah. <laughs> that is that is amazing looking. It's from Breakside Brewery, and they make a good beer. Story time on it is tropical, summery goodness. You are in for a magical ride. And, hmm, how is this anyway related to Power Pack, where Katie, who flies with rainbows and got her powers from a space horse, travels to, like, a cartoon kind of world? I don't know. I just don't know. Breakside. Oh, I know how it's Breakside, because she broke through to the other side and made it to elsewhere. There. Do. Figured it. Like Jim Morrison says, break on through to the other side. Break on through to the other side. That's right. Rainbows and unicorns. I mean, we went to a magical place. There are no unicorns in this, but I mean, there there might as well have been. Yeah, there's a, a lot ton of rainbows, of rainbows. A lot of magic, a mm-hmm. lot of weird stuff and elsewhere. So I thought Breakside Brewery's Rainbows and Unicorns was a nice fit for this. And this is an Indian Pale Ale. IBU is 30, ABV 5.1%. A Sasan IPA originally made for the Oregon Brewers Fest, brewed with flaked rice to create a light body to beer as possible with juicy, tropical, and fruity hop flavors. Alongside notes of peach, honeydew, apricot, and pineapple, tropical summery goodness. You are all in for a magical ride. Well, it smells like an IPA, but it also has a really uh, fruity floral notes to the nose, too. Yeah, I'm, I'm getting that, too. I'm getting the nice... Yeah. Fruity I can, floral I can kind of smell, since it said that it has peach in it, I can totally smell peach. Peach and almost like a pineapple, kind of like blooming pineapple kind of aroma. It's almost got a golden lager color to it. Yeah, it does. It's a little a little hazy. It's kind of translucent, not transparent. Yeah, I'm, I'm still feeling more of the more of the lager. Yeah. That's totally, I can totally see that. Very bubbly. Highly bubbly. But it smells really good. Mm-hmm. I'm getting the sweet honey taste. I'm getting the sweet honey. It is... That is like half honey fruit and half IPA. Yeah. Because I'm getting that kind of like dusty kind of on the tongue, uh-huh. kind of bitter kind of, you know. Yeah, the, the rusted metal. Yeah, the hopsy thing. And then the, the, the sweet honey hits. It's a dichotomy. It's those flavors all hitting kind of at the same time. No, I, I think this is very aptly described here. The, the, yeah. the smell of the peach, the honeydew, the sweetness of the apricot and pineapple. It's not bad. It's not bad at all. And on a nice sunny day, this is a nice beer to have. Yeah, I just got in from uh, working in the yard for a while pulling weeds. So the concept of this is sitting really nicely with me right now. Like we said at the beginning, Breakside Brewery does not make bad beers. Not IPA fans, but not a bad little taste here. Not Not a bad taste. I'm curious to see how, you know, like always, I'm curious to see how my uh, opinions of it will change or stay the same within an hour. I agree wholeheartedly. But for now... Let's go ahead and move on down to the opening credits, if you please. I will, but first, I wrote a theme song for this issue. We're going on an adventure, a magic elsewhere ride. We're going on an adventure, we'll go by pocket slide. We'll make some friends, we'll take a look at a land that seems like it's from some books. We're going on an adventure, we're going on an adventure, we're going on an adventure elsewhere. So, in case you couldn't guess, the name of the book is Power Pack, 
Issue number 47, July 1989, Elsewhere. Credits, John Bogdanov, Script and Cinematography. Hilary Barta, Lighting, Joe Rosen, Letters and Sense Surround. Glennis Oliver, Living Color, Carl Potts, Director. Tom DeFalco, Best Boy. Featuring Power Pack, Alex Power, a.k.a. Destroyer, White-Suited Bossy Brother. Julie Power, a.k.a. Molecula, Pink-Suited Book Reader. Jack Power, a.k.a. Counterweight, Blue-Suited Cranky Pants. Katie Power, a.k.a. Starstreak, Yellow-Suited Mischief Maker. Hey, Rick. Uh, why are you pointing out the suit's colors? I mean, the kids have been wearing these suits for like 47-odd issues, and I'm pretty sure we know which suits are which by now. Yeah, but you know what? I think we need a reminder, because, you know, first of all, audio medium, huh? And second, because Alex wants to trade the costumes around so that the symbols on the chest match the powers that they have. But b before we get to that, I think we need to get through lunch. Katie has decided that the quickest way to a full tummy is by tunneling directly through an entire jar of peanut butter, making the kind of mess that only a young child can. But Jim has got this. Katie, are you a goop? Glomp, luck, smart, smuck, woof, a oop. Could it be? I've never told you about the goops. The goops, they lick their fingers. The goops, they lick their knives. They spill their broth on the tablecloth. Oh, they lead disgusting lives. The goops, they talk while eating, and loud and fast they chew. And that is why I'm glad that I am not a goop, are you? The kids all agree that Katie has checked off all of the boxes on this one. The family as a whole is sitting around the family table. And I did a chair check. We're good. Hey, thanks. Sitting around the table, enjoying a nice family breakfast with some mass chaos and general arguing. The parents are heading out to work, but dropping not-so-subtle clues that they may be going on a vacation soon. But they won't say where. No way, no how. Life is a mystery, and they will never tell. It's at this point that Julie hands her dad his satchel that has a Vacationland main catalog hanging out of it. Subtle! Thanks, Julie. Uh, sorry to leave you guys with the breakfast mess. Bye. No sooner has the door closed than all of the kids turn on their powers as they start to clean up. Jack stacks everything into a towering zero-g'd pile of dishes. Alex disintegrates the spills and remnants off of the table. Julie, freaking out about Jack and worrying that the dishes will fall, lays down an air bubble force field under him and in front of him, which of course causes Jack to trip. Katie flies around, catching Jack's collapsing tower of table stuff. There! I think I got it all. Except, where's the jelly? Where indeed. Well, it appears that the missing jam jar has landed business side down on Alex's head, giving his hair a coating of the worst fruit extract conditioner imaginable. It's lucky for you guys, I'm such a good sport. Now that the parents are gone and the chores are done, it is time for some superhero maintenance. Okay, Jeff, you have my curiosity. I am interested. After reading comic books for most of my life, I have never heard of superhero maintenance, so um, pray tell, what is this? Well, Rick, I'm glad you asked. I thought you knew all of the tropes associated with the superhero genre. I mean, there's the origin story, the team meet-cute, busting through the door, taking down the villain, and of course... Revenge! But the most important one of them all is the superhero maintenance genre. This is that moment when the hero has to work on his equipment or costume in a significant and positive way. For example, in the first Secret Wars, Spider-Man's costume was in tatters and he used an alien device to provide him with an amazing black suit. Another would be when Hank Pym upgraded his Ant-Man identity to Yellow Jacket. 
Was it the black suit and alien symbiote that became Venom? And didn't Hank Pym as Yellow Jacket go crazy? <laughs> hey, l listen, Negative Nelly. I'm just saying that if you don't take care of your superhero accoutrement, you will end up looking like Ultraman. So Alex is getting his family team together to fix the big problem with their costumes. After a quick recap of the prior 46 issues in five panels, the oldest power kid tells his siblings to take off their costumes and hand them over to the person with that power. Nothing will fit! I like my yellow costume. Alex has a feeling that the costumes will stretch or shrink to match the kids through magic. It's illusion, Rick. But that is stupid, as Jack says. But the kids all strip to their underwear and start to pull or swim into each other's suits. Specifically, we have Julie pulling on Jack's blue cloud suit, while Jack is easily slipping on Alex's white G costume. Alex is holding up Katie's tiny yellow energizer jumper, and Katie is taking time to empty out Julie's pink flying covering. Yeah, uh, Julie apparently has been taking advantage of the magical pockets of her suit for a while. She has stored a small library of books, as well as a shoe, an apple, and a few other random odds and ends in there. Katie has been pulling these out, observing that Julie sure reads a lot of books. While Katie continues to dig through her new outfit, the other three have successfully put on their costumes with hilarious results. Alex does look ridiculous in the tiny Energizer suit, especially since he is standing in an uncomfortable way due to the mother of all wedges he has just given himself. Katie is reaching further and further into the secret pocket. Julie begins to wonder if the adaptability of the costumes has something to do with elsewhere, the mysterious place that the costumes go to when they costume off. The kids start to have a debate about if it is dimensional shunting or if it is magic. They really do not know how the Chimelian technology works, especially since the clothes always come back cleaned and mended like new. Yeah, I could see how that would be hard to understand. You know, I still think that there are magical mice inside my cell phone. What? Prove me wrong! Okay. Well, as the older kids have been arguing, Katie has managed to crawl all the way into the pocket of the pink suit. And then the incomprehensible psychedelic trip starts. What do you mean by incomprehensible? I could not really read anything in the rest of the book. It was in this weird sideways language, and all the pictures were placed wrong. I think that they had a problem with the printers and never got it fixed. Did um wait, did 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 you not realize that you had to turn the book sideways? Uh oh, uh, oh. Well that makes more sense. Um give me just a second to catch up. Okay, ready to go. Yeah, some, sometimes I just can't... Okay, well, Katie, wearing just her underwear, is now sliding down a long tube that ends up in an enclosed box that has a couple of books in the corner and a pair of shoes and an apple in it. Bump. As soon as she tries to stand up, she finds that the tunnel she came through is gone. And to her credit, instead of really freaking out like I would, she starts to test each side of this box and manages to push open one of the walls and falls out. The bright room she falls into blinds her momentarily, at which point she is picked up and thrown into a giant tub of soapy water by a mob of Mr. Clean lookalikes. Glub. These cleaners are bald oompa-loompas and are singing their little tune. O-M-G. The lyrics, they must be sung. Catch it. Grab it. Pass it along, bub. Heave ho, we toss it in the tub. Soapy, soapy, soapy. Scrubby, scrubby, scrub. We wash costumes every day before we get our grub. Splash and splash and sploosh and splish. The dirt goes down the drain. Dunk and soak and douse and rinse. Then we begin again. 
as as I was saying, as they sing and scrub our favorite pigtailed girl, Katie determines that this is not okay touching and flies out and around the room at a high rate of speed. And then something strange happens. Watch it, boys. We've let it slip. Quick, catch it by this rainbow strip. See, this is starting to be really strange. Dude, I think we have blasted way past the strange stuff happening. The fact that Washman grabbed Katie by the rainbow seems about on par for the course right now. Yeah, maybe, I guess. I don't know what's happening. Katie is hung up by the rainbow tail in the lost and found room to dry out and calm down in that order. Apparently, she is an article with no tag. At least, that is what these chuckleheads had thought. Luckily, Bosco, the head of the laundry garment district, has shown up to set things right. Bosco kind of looks like an anthropomorphic dog wearing a drum major's uniform. He is kind, knowledgeable, and is going to be the only hope that we, as the reader, have of finding our way through this story. He starts by introducing himself to the upside-down girl, and then releases her from her rainbow. Flump. Sorry, kid. Bosco takes Katie for a walk around the operation. Apparently, this is the magical waypoint of all the clothes from all over the multiverse that are able to get here for maintenance. Really, that is all we know. We need to get back to this later. Yeah, we do. But for now, he lets Katie know a secret about how he can handle special requests. Drop that tidbit in the memory locker for later episodes of this series. That's great. But for now, the only special request Katie has is to go home. Thank you. I really do have a special request. I need to get home. Yeah, that's what I just said. While passing Katie her clothes that she just costumed out of earlier so she doesn't have to continue to walk around in just a towel and underwear, Bosco explains that things sent here get marked with an ethereal tag so that it can be sent back to its owner when they need it. But here's the kicker. Katie did not get this tag, so she is not it. So close, but yet so wrong. The reality is that because she did not get this tag, there's no way that she can be sent back home. Stay here. I must get home. I have a family that loves me and needs me, and a mission to save the world. And puppies and unicorns and cakes to bake and siblings to annoy, blah, 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 blah. We get it, you're important. Well, that doesn't impress me much, but I'm not Bosco. After dropping a G that Alex must have lost in his suit, old Bosco figuratively puts on his thinking cap and decides that the only thing left to do is for her to go see the old Grand Poobah, the king of elsewhere himself. Mr. Bosco kindly gives her instructions on how to get to where she needs to be. But these instructions seem to be the end result of someone taking five fridge magnet poetry sets and throwing them at some word bubbles. So, after quickly realizing that a five-year-old is not going to remember a complex set of non-linear directions in a place she has never been, the cleaner captain agrees to be her guide. So, early the next morning, they take off to go on their adventure. It's going to be a long, long walk, Bosco says, but why walk when you can fly? And because the laws of physics are a special kind of broken here, the sartorial sergeant gets to catch a ride by sitting upon Katie's solid rainbow as she flies. And while we previously determined that a rainbow lasts a finite amount of time, that is not the case here. In fact, as Katie is flying through the dark wold forest, Sputter fizz plop! The fun time flying ends. Apparently, for the time being, the rainbow is all used up. Finding their feet on Firma, the former flyers find the foliage free of a footpath. Fearing for their freedom, the friends follow the fallen fragmented flyer's flag. While this is a good plan, their backtrack ends when they find a flock of rocks eating the rainbow trail. Now, with no path forward and some deadly creatures behind, the pair hunt deeper into the woods. Bosco believes both their bells are busted and bemoans their banished beings, but Katie beholds a bounty and beckons boldly and breathily beseeches. 
Why don't we ask for directions at that house? Yes, that's right. In the middle of this giant, benighted forest, Katie has found a house. A huge house. Like a giant old mansion house type of thing. They knock on the door and are quickly yanked inside. A well-dressed pretty lady is standing there, happy that her babysitters have arrived. Er, we're not babysitters, ma'am. I'm sorry. We just need directions from someone who knows the forest well. Well, it appears that they have come to the right place. She implies that she knows this place like the back of her head, the top of her ears, and the front of her elbows. But right now she is running late, late, late. Can't stop and must be off, off, off. And with that, the lady runs out of the door and tells them to keep an eye on her little darlings. Oh, and to make sure that the kids get a bath and go to bed early as well. Little darlings? Good grief, these kids are even worse than I am! And she is not wrong. The kids, and we use that term lightly, are a pack of blue or red pajamaed, featureless, yellow-skinned, bald, human shapes. And they are tearing the place up. Uh, kids, now we can all have a good time here if we just try to cooperate a little and... And she immediately gets beamed in the head with a ball. Sorry, kid. This is going to be a long night. And Bosco is correct. As the two spend the entire night wrangling these kids, forcing them into a bath, and finally resorting to using some of Katie's now-recharged rainbow ribbon power to tie the kids into their bed for a good night's sleep. The next morning, the very appreciative lady wants to repay the two. But while she does know the dark world very well, she has no idea about how to get out of the forest. So, this was just a waste of time for them. Jeez, thanks a lot, lady. It's not all bad. Think of all the paying jobs they will get in the future from the exposure that they will get from working for this lady for free. Don't get me started on that. Back in the forest, they find a path but are quickly lost, and that's it upon by the flock of rocks. It is a rock flock block around the clock tick-tock. Did you write that sentence while you were falling asleep? No. Yes. Go away. Well, the captured couple is taken up to one of the rock's communal homes. And while they're about to be eaten, one of them exclaims, Arrgh! Wait a minute, fellers! We can't eat them! This is the little girl we saw come into the forest the other day! The one who left us all that delicious ribbon candy! Oh, little girl! You have earned our fealty! How may we be of service? So the moral of the story is, if you go into a strange forest, be sure to leave a trail of yummy candy that appeals to giant mythical beasts. That seems... awfully specific. But whatever floats your boat. Now that the flock has adopted Katie and Bosco, they begin to fly them to the king's palace. Again, we are faced with a physics nightmare, as the river the rocks are following becomes a waterfall. But when they dive down, the orientation changes so that they are flying with horizontal to the downward river, going down, or something. Look, we are doing our best here, folks. It is confusing for Katie, and she is in the book, and it is visual, and we only have words. So let's just say that elsewhere is a cube earther's ideal, if that cube earther's ideal was a Rubik's Cube. So now it looks like they are flying sideways to the ground, and this Escher-esque worldview is stuck for Bosco and Katie, even when they land at the king's castle. Now on the ground, er, relative ground that is, they find themselves walking on the walls of the palace while the guards are standing on the ground. Uh, my brain pan hurts. Yeah, there is also a language barrier too, because the language is also being spoken sideways to the traveler's orientation. In fact, they find it easier to tilt their heads to understand, not unlike me when I'm talking to you, Jeff. After struggling and climbing along the walls and trying to figure out directions in a 90-degree alternate world, Bosco slips and goes hurtling towards, well the outside world. 
Kitty flies down, wraps a ribbon around him, flies back up, bursts through the door, and managed to grab onto the leg of the king. Hooray! After providing some chairs for his angle-challenged guests, the orange and green-suited 40s comic strip reject congratulates Bosco on nobly championing her on her quest and in completing this questline. Ye old king has been aware of young Katie's issues and has thought long and hard about the tagless lass, and after a whole lot of thinking, he has determined that she can't go home because she doesn't have a tag. That's all, folks. No need to thank him. Close the door on your way out. What? After stammering out a lame apology, he lets the dejected adventurers know that their hope lies in another castle. Or, uh, I mean, that they could try the oracle. He would have mentioned it sooner, but it has been so long since the king hasn't known everything, or that they have needed an answer to something, that he forgot all about it. In fact, he doesn't even know where the oracle is. Whoops! After being invited to look in all the rooms to see if they can find the oracle, they dejectedly start on their new quest. Don't worry, kid. This oracle guff may be the bunk, but I'll find a way to send you home somehow. Good on you, Bosco. Good on you. Katie and Bosco trudge into the garden, walking on the sides of the perfectly cut hedges. This is where they run into the queen. She too is drawn in a 40s comic strip style, but while her husband rules by law and order, she nurtures growing things in her garden. She leads them through, er, up, a door into the inner garden. By the time Katie and Bosco climb into the door the queen walked through... Okay, now my head is hurting. Yeah, I know. Hang in there, man. They find that the queen has disappeared. But the room they are in now is different. It looks like the ground and walls are all copies of the same path, with a water feature in the middle. So now, they are standing the right way up. The water fountain turns off and becomes a bright, shining egg. Are we really sure that Katie was not gassed with LSD when she climbed out of the pocket? We have not ruled that out yet as shown by the fact that the egg starts to talk to her. The shape morphs into the queen's face. Apparently, she is both the queen and the oracle. Her energies have been dormant until they are needed. Like now. For into each generation is born an oracle, one who is chosen to be queen and grant wisdom unto the king. That is all well and good, but what about Katie? Can she send her home? Of course not! This has all been an elaborate Wizard of Oz parable. Didn't you see the clues? Uh, what are you talking about? Okay. Katie and her dog-looking friend are not in Kansas anymore. They meet a bunch of short people, and they have to follow a yellow brick road where attacked by flying things until they finally reach a guy in charge who has no power at all, and then a mystical person shows up and says that they have had the power inside them all along as long as they utilize some satorial object as a focus. No, uh... No, not... I'm just not seeing the connection. Ah! So the magic egg lady tells her that since her costume is back in the real world, she just needs to click her heels together and say... There's no place like home. There's no place like home. There's no place like home. Why would she say that? She's not Dorothy Gale. I mean, what she needs to do is think about costuming on to get summoned back to her home realm, with the added bonus of having almost no time pass when she gets back. But before she takes off... Goodbye, Bosco. Thank you for being my champion. I love you. And as the teary-eyed leader of the laundry watches Katie costume out of elsewhere... Katie appears back in front of her siblings who are still in each other's costumes. Hi, guys! Katie, we've been looking upside down and sideways for you! Where have you been? I've been in my pocket! Say what? It looks like they had been looking for her for a while, but not days, just like the Oracle promised. She explains her wild adventure to them, which none of them believe. Julie thinks she has just put the story together from a mess of different books. Alex thinks it's weird, and Jack, well, Jack... Really? A big laundromat with a bunch of little Mr. Cleans running around? 
Give me a break. To prove her story, she has all of the family stand in each other's suits and boots and then... Costumes off. Costumes on. And what do you know? There they are, all wearing the correct matching suits that have been perfectly sized to each. So, this entire story was just to show how they have suits that match the powers they have. Yeah, you got a problem with that? You know what? I don't think I do. We close with Katie looking into the pocket of her pink suit and saying, Thanks, Bosco. Next issue, the pack swings into summer as mom and dad's secret mystery plan is revealed. Plus, more on Kofi and Friday. And get set for the triumphal return of Franklin Richards. About time. Be here for Dolphin Dreaming in six weeks. But first, we are going to move away from the main series for two, count them, two more episodes. Next episode, we're going to go back in time with the Power Pack and Cloak and Dagger, Shelter from the Storm graphic novel. And then, the second episode, we are going to have a special guest interview. More on that later. But for now, for now, for now, we are going to flip this book back right side up and we're going to look at the cover that surrounds the book and talk about the Power Pack packaging. Yeah. Yeah, I like that. I like Power Pack packaging. I like looking at the cover of the book. It's an often uh, forgotten about section to talk about. I agree. I heartily, heartily, heartily agree. And this is another by our favorite cover artists. I, I love him, Bog and Barda, who, uh, <laughs> who have their names in the in the rainbow, the Katie's little rainbow here, and says Bog and Barda, and it says together again. Yeah, I love that. I saw that uh, this morning, and I'm like, oh, I'm so glad that that's there. That's neat. So why don't you go ahead and explain the rest of this cover for me? All right. This is Katie flying with a worried look on her face, holding Bosco. So she's in Elsewhere, and uh, she's leaving a ribbon trail behind her, and she's being pursued by four of the rock creatures. Which The, uh, the what? The rock creatures. The, the... rock monsters. Yeah. It's a rock monster. Rock monster. Yeah. Uh, it's a rock monster. Yeah. I thought it was a whale, but it was a, a rock, rock monster. Rock monster. And however, whatever, <laughs> you guys just sing your own version of the song. Just in, in, just put rock monster in there. Uh, so the rock monsters are kind of humanoid. They're, they're, they're Sauron-looking characters. The, and Sauron of the mutant energy-eating pterodactyl man-mutant guy. I think so, we were better off with the pterodactyl. Yeah, they look they look like a pterodactyl, but they look more more humanoid than uh, normal pterodactyl kind of shapes. So they're being pursued by them, but also one of the rock creatures is eating her solidified rainbow candy ribbon trail. Yeah. So it shows that at some point they're in a different realm. Her rainbow tail is a physical object. She's hauling around her guide, who looks like a cartoon character in uh, you know in a in a dormant suit. And it shows that she's somewhere not normal being pursued by not normal things and that they are concerned about it. So it is a threat. And that is... Uh, and, at, and at the bottom, it even says, elsewhere. Elsewhere. Mm-hmm. Now, it's not quite a scene in the book, but it is very, very similar to kind of what happens. So I, I don't see this as so much as a lie as it is kind of a combination. It's like, yeah, they were, they flew their, her trail got eaten by rocks. Yeah. The rocks were attacking them at one point and did catch them and, and carry them away. So this it's, is, this is a good, honest yeah. telling of what's of something that's going on in the book. And this is a fun cover. It's a fun cover. It's great art. It's wonderful art. I have nothing but compliments about this. I love it when Bog and Barda get together. Oh yeah, I do too. So let's talk about some of the stuff in the book. Let's talk about some of these themes in this book here. This is a comic book that talks about 
the suits. We finally, yeah. after 47 issues, or I guess we should say 46 issues, because I think they got their, their suits in the second issue. We finally are getting something here that tells us what these suits are, where they're going, some of the things that can happen. You know, it gives us the magic what if story behind the suits, which is kind of cool. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I. This reminds me just a little bit of The Greatest American Hero. I can see that, yeah. Because it's like, they got these suits, and they never got the instructions. They No, they don't understand they, them. They, they, don't, they know one thing, costumes off and costumes on. That's about it. Yeah. Um, Later on, they discover they have pockets. Uh, they discover they have pockets. Later on, they discover, oh, hey, guess what? You're not supposed to clean them. Just, yeah. just, just send them back. <laughs> just They'll send be them cleaned. Home. The right way. By who? Eh, they go to elsewhere. Eh. Yeah, they just they just elsewhere. <laughs> but it's like there's and from here on out, now we know that there's other things these suits can do. And there's and there's some other things that Katie is gonna use the suits and, and be able to do things with the suits. That's kinda cool. Because now she understands a little bit more. She's gotten some knowledge. Hey, Friday, I put this on you. You're supposed yeah. to give instructions with the suits. Yeah, okay? there is a lot of that. Maybe yeah. maybe this was covered in chameleon grade five. It was not covered in Earth equivalent. Anywhere. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Not even a not even a Reed Reed Richards kind of says, "Hey, right. with this unstable molecules, it's you don't don't put you know it's not it's it's dry clean only kind of thing." Also, Friday, uh, maybe a warning saying, "Don't crawl into the pockets," especially when yeah. you give it to a five year old. Just oh, yeah. saying. It would, it would help. Just yep. saying. <laughs> I, let's just assume that in the Chimelian culture, that it's so well known that it's just like, why would? Why would I tell you not to walk across the street? You should know this. There's traffic, you know, kind of thing. <laughs> it's a stranger in a strange land parable. I love this, though, because this is this is actually explaining a magical concept that we didn't need. No, we really needed explained. And it brings in the insanity of, of a world that has no physics that exists for this. This is beautiful comic book logic. Beautiful yep. comic book logic. And what's great about this, too, this is a 30-page comic book. Yeah. It has 30 pages talking about this this is you have an adventure in your pocket anytime you want one they could this could have been this could have been a two-panel thing with alex going hey let's change costumes okay now we have new costumes and they could have done anything else but instead i love the fact bog was just like i'm doing a katie issue because i like katie and we're gonna have this fantastical just every tale that's exciting that i ever want to put into a thing so it's fantastic i'm gonna i'm gonna sit here and stare at my bookshelf full of books and i'm going to pick one off the shelf and i'm going to take out the first the first three pages and the five pages of another book and i'm going to shove it all together in a blend i'm going to grab a little from column a which is alice in wonderland i'm going to grab a little from column w which is wizard of oz I'm oh gonna, there's a I'm lot gonna, in here there's a lot of different ones and we'll talk about that too i'm going to look at my little uh night you know 1940s uh cartoon collection that i have i'm going to pull some characters out of that yeah it's wonderful he gave us a land that answers the question Okay, where do the suits and costumes go or come from? They got to come from somewhere, right? You know, you know, Phoenix, when Phoenix had her powers and she could make clothes appear and disappear, where did that come from? Oh, it came from elsewhere. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, uh, Shazam. Uh, Shazam. When he says Shazam, where does that costume come from? Um, it goes, goes to, goes there, goes to elsewhere. Okay. You know? uh, Quasar. Clink, you know, quasar. Okay. Uh, Spider-Man, his amazing friends. You know the TV show mm -hmm. when Firestar mm -hmm. like you know did her fire on her costume and and the and oh, the and, just... and, and the orange leotard appeared. Yeah. Okay. I think it was just a uh, heat activated clothing. Yeah, but where does that go afterwards? Huh? Huh? You think she cleans that all the time? You think she goes? No, she suits? sets fire to it, Rick. Uh, fire cleans all. Cleansing flame. And of course the black Spider-Man costume too. 
It's not specifically said that the cost that all those costumes go there, but I like to think that this is the magical reason or the magical place that all those costumes go. Because in an infinite number of worlds, why not? Why not? Just have fun. It is a fun little adventure romp. It's a great little story. And why not? Make it kooky and fun and crazy and just enjoyable. And if you also notice what a fun thing in here is there's a uh, Star Trek uniform in uh, on one of the racks, which is funny. Because I'm like, that's unnecessary because they're just rayon and would just get laundered at home. But okay. <laughs> but, you know, why not? It's, it's some poor red suit. You know, it happens. Yeah. It happens. Yeah. It yeah. happens. When when Katie comes through, they have we see that the pockets that each one of them have a pocket. And she comes out of Julie Powers' pocket. There's 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 a lot of fun stuff that John Bogdanov drew in the background of this. I mean, oh, yeah. he was having fun. He was he was just putting some goofy goofy stuff in here and making it look very nice and pretty. Yeah, you could tell that he really enjoyed himself on this issue. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. You can tell did. that this one was much more, of, uh, I think, just kind of like, this is a labor of love. I've got some stuff percolating in my head that's not going to fit in gen generic general continuity. But I want to do this. So here's the reason why it happened. And, you know, breaking some of the concepts and some of the ideas behind how you structure and how you format a comic. You mm -hmm. know, we are going to turn this comic book on its side. And then once yeah. we do that, we're going to play around with other conventions within the comic book because yeah. once once they start walking in the world sideways so you already work we already got the book yeah. sideways this way and they're walking the world the wrong way the and they start interacting with people who are on the right plane then we start having a really weird way you almost need arrows to figure out where you need to go kind of yeah because it's like uh, i think that you almost have to turn the book upside down to see what the people in the poobah's castle yeah. are saying you need to do that but you also need yeah. to kind of like okay we're going left to right but then yeah they switch the order a little bit on us at one point and yeah it just kind of goes everywhere so yep. you, you have to really this book takes a little bit of a time to read <laughs> yeah you kind of have to work for it a bit but i like that a little bit because you can have fun with it you can enjoy it and you can make it just a little bit of work and make it a little more interactive with the participant yeah it's kind of neat it's classic bog too because he likes words yeah, because he will put like a couple of issues worth of uh, words into a comic. So it's got a lot of words going on in it, and it's got a lot of, it's got a lot. Yes. It is a lot in this issue. Yeah. Is there anything else specifically you want to bring out or talk about in this book before I get to my last couple questions? Uh, no, go for it, because uh, it's just, it's just, it's just fun. It's great. All right. Question for you. Yes. Julie has filled her suit with books. Lots right. and lots of books. You've got magic pants on right now. Yes. You also have in your magic pants a pocket that you can put any anything in. What stuff were you mm -hmm. going to put in your pockets? Oh, uh, you know, honestly, I would probably end up putting food into them. You know, probably a nice coat, probably probably a warm coat and like a hat and gloves. But mostly, I bet it would be food, and more specifically, probably not healthy food, just like snack munch food. How about you? What would you What would you put in your magic pocket? I, I gotta tell you, this is a weird one for me because I, I wrote down this question because I was interested in it, and then I started thinking about myself. I'm like, man, you know what? I don't know. I'm. I, I will tell you exactly. I know right now exactly what I put in my magical pocket. I would put a generator with an unlimited supply of gas. Okay. Because I want to be able to plug in my phone and other electrical devices at any point in time. Yeah. And having that in there, hidden, and nobody can hear it, and it's running, and it's producing energy, and, you know, 
I'm going to say that there's some, you know, carbon thing that, you know, makes all that greenhouse gas stuff go away. Um, (laughs) Well, it's just dumping into elsewhere. It's not coming out your pocket. See, there we go. That's a problem. It's a it's an elsewhere problem. It's not a your problem. Yeah, I don't want to throw that in elsewhere though. <laughs> I think I'm gonna have, I think I'm gonna have to make it solar paneled and has to sit outside and elsewhere and it just has a cord running through. There we go, solar okay. power. Yeah. I just I want that endless supply of of electricity that I can just plug in my device or your know, friends like oh man my phone's almost out I got you covered. Yeah, gotcha. Here, here, plug into my belly button uh, yeah. cord. <laughs> don't think about it. Just plug it in. Just do it. Plug into my belly button. <laughs> We now know what we liked in our pockets, and we know what Julie liked in her pockets. She liked books, and this was probably one of our easiest times where I had to find a library card. I had so many options here, because mm-hmm. when we were looking at what Julie had in her pocket, she Katie pulled out a mess of books, and this included Heidi by Joanna Spire, Alice's Adventure, the Plastic Man comic book, The Wizard of Oz, and... A copy of Goops and How to Be Them, A Manual of Manners for Polite Children. Now, when I first read this book back in the day, I just went over my head. I'm like, huh, I think whoever wrote the story wrote up a funny little poem about Goops. Okay, whatever. I didn't really look and see, notice that, oh, one of the books says Goops, you know, and How to Be Them, A Manual of Manners for Polite Children. Oh my gosh, Mr. Internet. Mr. Wizard, check the internet, because guess what? This is a real thing. I did not know this. I did we not know didn't this. have the easy access to learning stuff no, as we, we do now. No, we now did. you can be very much like, oh, there's a book. I wonder what that is. Okay, now I know. Yep, yep, yep. And blow your mind here. I mean, I was like, this is a real thing. The Goops books, originally published between 1900 and 1950, were created by the artist, art critic, poet, author, and humorist Gillette Burgess. The Goops were humanoid characters with enormous round heads who behaved disgracefully. Does this sound familiar, folks? It should, because if you remember in our story, Katie and Bosco actually babysat the Goops while their mother went out. And actually, the mother represents a similar drawing of the mother in the old illustration of the Goops. That's where this came from. And that also explains kind of some of the drawings of the king and queen. They had that old, and and also Bosco himself, they had that old... 20s, 40s kind of style of drawings. Yeah, that's where Bogdanov got this from. He got it from the same same time period. The Goops lived in a world of regular-looking people, making them a representation of children, a simile to show what is naughty. It is also good to remember that the Goops never reform or get any better. They are not to be thought of as good or aspirational, just an annoyance or a warning. The goops, they lick their fingers, and the goops, they lick their knives. They spill their broth on the tablecloth. Oh, they lead disgusting lives. The characters debuted conceptually in the illustrations of Burgess's publication, The Lark, in the late 19th century. Don't interrupt your father when he's telling funny jokes. Don't interrupt your mother when she's entertaining folks. Don't interrupt the visitor when they have come to call. In fact, it's generally wiser not to interrupt at all. For a long time since its first publication, the series was seen as instructions on teaching children the importance of manners and polite behavior. Don't you think it is a shame? Are the goops the ones to blame? Did you ever catch them playing at their horrid little games? Now, many of the books are out of print. A few still can be found for purchase as reprints or the original ones in antique shops. I was able to find a copy on the Goodberg Project website to read for this episode. Whose doll is that on the table? Whose book is that on the chair? The knife and the pencils and other utensils? Now how did they come to be there? Didn't you say they were borrowed? You'd better take back just a few. If you lent your playthings, I think you would say things if no one returned them to you. 
I think that there were many books that John Bogdanov looked to to develop this story, but it's obvious that there was some real pulls from this old manual of politeness, as well as from The Wizard of Oz and a few other ones. Remember not to suck your thumb. Remember not to slam the door. Remember when the callers come to take your toys from off the floor. And that is my literary corner. Nicely done. Jeff, can you please interject a little bit of science in this elsewhere craziness? Well, the science is going to fall apart because their gravity's all weird. Jack would have done wonderful in Elsewhere because he'd have been like, yeah, oh, oh, I got to walk on the ceiling? Who cares? I can, I can walk, walk, I can walk on my words. Yeah. <laughs> oh, we're being attacked by rocks. Crush. In this issue, one of the first things that Katie sees is a group of Mr. Clean-looking individuals washing clothes. Well, this got me thinking. How exactly does washing clothes make them clean? Well... All washing involves passing a solvent through soiled clothing in an attempt to remove the soil. This is done in two ways. The first way is chemical. The water in the soap in it dissolves the gunk so that it gets poured out with the water instead of sticking to the clothes. Usually using hot water works better because there is more energy at the molecular level, so everything moves around faster and the cleaning happens quicker. The second way is by physical agitation. Agitating the dirty clothes and soapy water lets the solvent pass back and forth through the fabric, which removes the dirt and traps it in the water and the suds. After that, it is just a matter of spinning away the dirty water, rinsing the clothes with fresh water, and spinning it away again to remove the last of the dirt that is left over. Finally, these clothes get thrown into the dryer to remove the remaining moisture in them. So, there you have how washing clothes gets them clean. And, if I might make a suggestion, learn how to do laundry before going away from home. Otherwise, you will have to have a friendly individual like myself teach you. And that is this week's Science Corner. Well, it's a dirty topic, but somebody's got to do it. <laughs> <laughs> My friend, let's move on to that refrigerator. Take a look at the pictures, and um, remember, anyone we put up there this time has got to be turned to a 90 degree angle. Refrigerator Gallery, what piece of art in this book needs to be on the family refrigerator? We've got some funny ones, so let's talk about one of them. I'm going to start it off this time because I'm like that. <laughs> you do the thing you do, and that's good. I'm going to say on page 30, last page of the book, and we have the kids, the bottom two panels there, we have the kids in two pictures, one of them after they put the new suits on. But before they do, what we have here is a perfect fit because we got the kids <laughs> all sitting in there in the suits as their uh, siblings originally have it. The only person yeah. who looks comfortable is Julie because Julie's in Jack's and it's they're pretty close in size. So she looks close enough. Julie is a good six inches taller. Yeah. So it'd be a little tight. But yeah, but everybody else is either swimming. Well, the other two are swimming. Uh, Alex is Got the wedgie, wedgie from Bad Place. <laughs> Alex has got, yeah, uh, Alex is like 12 and has a five-year-old's clothes on. It is, it's a tight it's fit. It's a tight fit. So I call that one perfect fit. Perfect fit. <laughs> I like it. That is really great. What is your funny backup one, Asa? My funny backup one is on page two, and I call it Walt and Wheezy Wandered In. <laughs> this is a, a panel on the bottom left of the page, and it is just a picture of uh, Jim and Maggie Power just standing there smiling at their kids. But it really, really looks like 
Walt Simonson and Louise Simonson. They, they have always been the the stand-ins for the power parents. Yes, but they have. They they have never been drawn so much like Walt. Yeah, they are exceptionally so right now. <laughs> yes. So my first place joke one is uh, very close to that one. So go to page three. I think it's going to be pretty obvious what I think that the uh, funny <laughs> one here is. I call this one a very simple jam head. Oh, I was going to call it jam jar. Yep. Yeah. And this is Alex with the jam upended on top of his blonde, blonde hair. <laughs> yeah. And it is purple, purple jam. And he looks less than amused. I, I Yeah, but still, he's not livid. He's just like... It's a good thing I'm. A, yeah, I like. I even like what he says. He goes, "It's lucky for you guys. I'm such a good sport." Uh, he's like, "Okay." <laughs> you know how to take a pause and breathe and take a moment. My parents will know <laughs> that one of them is missing. <laughs> yeah. yeah, they usually remember that we have four or five children, not three or two. Yeah, I, I wanted to choose something else, but uh, for some reason that one just kept coming back to me. So, what do you have for your funny top one? My top. Funny joke one is on page two, and I call it, ah, day drinking. The final refuge of parents that have given up everywhere. (laughs) And this is the very first panel on the page, and it's all the kids at the table, and they're arguing, and Jim is quoting the goop poem, and Katie is covered with peanut butter, and everything's going on. And it shows uh, Maggie's just standing there. She's got a pitcher in her hand and a glass. And we don't know what's in that pitcher. I'm assuming it's an adult beverage. Because she's just... Everything's going on. It's a massive chaos at the table. And she's just kind of like... Mmm, that's some good (laughs) sipping tea. So (laughs) This is Mommy's Margarita. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, this is Mommy Medicine. This is uh, Daddy Parenting Juice is what I usually call it. Well, while while she's going off and doing her day drinking, uh, this is probably where she's going to end up, and that isn't elsewhere. Because if we go to my backup best one, we are deep in elsewhere on page 22. I call this one... It's the edge of the world as we know as it. We know it. And this is the first yeah. panel, and it's the flock of rocks flying to the kingdom castle, and they're flying straight, but the horizon is on the vertical axis. Yep. So <laughs> figure that out and look at our webpage to see this picture. Yeah. There's a lot of cool art in here, and there's a there lot is. of, especially once we get into this. 90 degree different world and we're already reading the book on a 90 degree angle there's a lot of different choices i had but for some reason i kept coming back to this one because it's just this panoramic view all at an angle and it's just neat trippy (laughs) yep it is very trippy strange and wondrous what is your backup (laughs) great one my backup favorite art one is on page 14 and i call it grand vistas it's the bottom half of the page, and it is when Bosco and Katie are going to start their journey through Elseworld to get to the Grand Poobah's castle. And it shows the meadows of Perambula. And it's just this long, expansive, beautiful vista of rolling hills and trees and... The yellow brick road. Quaint, yeah, it's a... Well, yeah, I guess it's a little bricky, but yeah, it's a yellow pathway or kind of a yellow-orange. It's an amber pathway, and it's got little stone bridges, and it's got flocks of birds, and it has trees with interesting fruit on it, and it has this beautiful sunrise coloration going on up over the mountains and the clouds, and it's just beautiful. Wonderful. I I kept flipping by that one, too. It, it screams to be taken. I'm glad you chose that one. Yeah, I really like that. I just look at that, and I just I want to go walk there. Yeah, yeah, I can definitely, definitely see that. 
Well, after seeing something as beautiful as that, I'd like to move you forward to, uh, to something that shows a couple of people that are a little tired out on page 18. This one I just call tired out. Aww. This is after Bosco and Katie have worked their little tushes off trying to put the goops down to sleep. And they finally have tied all the goops to the bed. And actually, if you look, it looks like the goops are still awake. They're still moving yeah. around a bit. Well, some of them look happy. Some of them look angry. Some of them look like they're yelling. Yeah, it's just they're running the gamut yeah. of emotions. But, but yeah, they're they awake. They have all been tied down tightly to the bed using uh, Katie's rainbow. And they've tied them in a bow. And Katie and Bosco are just asleep against each other at the foot of the bed. And the mother's looking there just so pleased. Yeah. <laughs> I I really love this because it's it's a very complex little picture and oh it is and it just says an awful lot right there and we've all been there. <laughs> <laughs> what is your top one, sir? Well, it's not tying children to bed. <laughs> I'm not like that bad of a parent, Rick. <laughs> My top favorite one is on page 19, and I call it "You have been weighed, you have been measured, and you have been found wanting." And this is the bottom right-hand panel, and it is after Bosco and Katie have been picked up by the rocks and flown up to their, we'll just say, lair. And they are surrounded by hungry, angry-looking rocks with baleful red eyes. And uh, it just, it shows Katie and Bosco just kind of in like a, you know, very kind of spotlighty, kind of shaded kind of lighting. And they are hugging each other and looking afraid because they know that rocks is going to eat them. So I just I love that little panel. It just I'm just like that is fantastic. Yeah, yeah. There is no bad art in this at all. I John Bog no. has done some great stuff. I, I Bog always does really, really nice does. looking art. I yeah. mean, it's nothing like dumb heads like us would do. No, 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 no. But speaking of insults, um, let's talk about some. Jeff. I bet dumb head will come up too. <laughs> Jeff, rubber and glue moment. What is the best or most childish insult? What is your backup? Sir, my backup insult is on page two, and it's a Jack insult. So don't stick your fingers in the main jar, dumbhead. <laughs> that is my yes. backup as well. <laughs> all right, it was a good one. Yeah, this is uh, when they're all at the table. Jim is asking if Katie is a goop. Katie is covered in peanut butter, and all the other kids are just like yelling back and forth, saying, "Yeah, Katie's a goop. Look at how messy she is." And, and day drinking mama says, "Jack, don't call your <laughs> sister a dumbhead." <laughs> That's right. <laughs> What is your top one, sir? Let's move on to your top one. My top one is on page 29, and I'm picking it because it's not super insulting, but it is. It's a little bit of a thinker. And this is when the Oracle is talking to Katie, and she's explaining how, yes, she's the queen, but she's also the Oracle, because since the kings didn't like the feminine energy of having the Oracle around, they've done their own things, And but she pops up as the queen every generation to, to guide them. And she says, each generation I take the form of the queen, that I might have some influence on the poobahs for they have so much to learn. <laughs> and I was just like, oh, that's some nice shade. I can see that. That, that is some nice shade, yeah. Because the Poobah, you know, the king earlier was talking, he's like, it's been so long since the kings haven't known everything. Uh-huh. Yeah, 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 yeah. I like and it. And I just love the I love the aspect that the Oracle's like, they have so very much to know. Yeah. <laughs> so I went with a straight-up insult, and this is back on page 13. And Chuckleheads. Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> and it is Chuckleheads. Yeah. And this is Bosco as he's coming in. Yeah. Uh, and he yells at his at his flunkies, you Chuckleheads, this is no article. This thing's alive. And once again, I have changed. Uh, yeah. I have changed Bosco's voice once again. Every time. Each and That's every okay. time. Bosco can be in... Uh, hey, they're talking about ethereal tags a lot. He is an ethereal being. Ah, his, ah, uh, ah. his substance, his base nature changes fluidically. So, thank you very much, Mr. Chucklehead. Uh, let's go yeah. on to Stars of Detention. <laughs> well, as you know, in Stars and Detention, we're going to talk about the worst kid first before we talk about the best kid. So, Detention Kid is. Well, we have three kids who really don't appear all that much in the story. Yes. But of those three kids that don't appear much in the story, I am going to say. Alex, yes, it really? was his idea to do the switcheroo thing at the beginning of the book, but as they start doing it, then he looks annoyed. Like, yes. as soon as he puts on the thing, he's like, well, this is dumb, this isn't working. And then when Katie has the idea at the end, he is he's just poo-pooing the entire thing. When, mm-hmm. really, it is the most logical idea, and Alex is supposed to be the logical leader. Yeah. I, I would have said, you know, well... Let's just try this and see what happens. The worst thing is, yeah. is like, you know, the costume goes off and the costume comes back on and it's still too short. Yeah. I would have tried that that first off. But instead, he's yeah, like, exactly. Me too. wow, that sounds dumb, Katie. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I I just wondered at, wow, Alex, you had this idea and then you're not willing to try other things. So, for my mind, that just made him the worst. Okay, I could see that. I fully see that. But like you said, the three other kids were not in this issue very much. So... Picking amongst them, I did not pick Alex. I can see mm-hmm. 100% why you did. I chose Julie. Okay. And there's two reasons for that, if not three. I got to remember one of them. I had a big diatribe I was going to go off on. The main two reasons why I am picking Julie for the uh, detention kid is because there is a spot in the beginning where Alex just bursts out. You know, it's like, oh, smart move, Julie. Dump about a quart of yogurt, why don't you? So... She knocked over a quarter of yogurt, so she, she so she made a mess. So it's just like, oh, you wasted food. I'm totally against that. But she saw Jack, who de-gravitized and also gravitized all the plates and dishes and everything as a giant tower in his hand to take it to the sink, where it's just like, yeah, Jack knows what's going on. He's like, yeah, I can make this stuff stick together. But she's like, what are you doing? That's all going to fall over, and it's going to break our secret identities. It's like, well, the house is empty. Don't worry about it. But Jack's like, I've got this. Don't worry about it. I'm going to go take, we're cleaning up. She's like, well, you're going to make a mess, and I don't want anything to get broken, so I'm going to put trip hazards in front of you. Okay. So she made the the air bubble force fields underneath Jack and in front of his legs, and that caused him to trip and dump everything, okay. making her come to fruition. You know, her like, oh, you're going to drop sure. everything. She made it happen. And so the main reason that I picked her is because I absolutely hate it when, when you're doing something. You're like, I have a plan. I have the ability. I'm going to totally do this thing. I'm going to move this whatever. I'm going to do this this task. And I can do it, and I know exactly how I'm doing it. And somebody comes in and says, you're doing that wrong. You can't do it that way. I'm going to help you. And they do nothing but hinder you and actually possibly physically hurt you. I've had people do this before where it's just like, yeah, I can pick this up. I can haul it. And they're like, you're going to hurt your back. And then they wrench the thing in my, like, you know, balanced on my shoulder or whatever. And I'm like, yes, now I've hurt my back because you completely overbalanced me and did not help at all. You know, I I can only say I'm sorry so many times. Yeah, I know. I'm not bringing up past things, Rick. But boy, I remember how much that hurt, Rick. Listen. But I'm not naming names who was involved in that, Rick. Listen, you take one snowball to the back and forevermore, you know. 
Actually, that was no. You didn't do that. You, you, you you've never helped me with anything. This Rick. is true. This is true. Hey. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think we both agree that Katie is the best. I yes. I, I think that we we have, we, have we have said it before that not all you know when it's a solo issue person that doesn't automatically mean that they're the best. But this one, I was actually thinking about it, and Katie. Katie really is a passenger on the story. Mostly, I, it, yes. It, it just feels to me that most of this is about the world. I found the world just so fascinating that Katie is just, yeah. she's just the thing that's wandering through the world. It's almost less about her and it's more about this journey in this world. Oh, yeah. She's a Neil Gaiman main character. Yeah. Yeah, she's shadow walking through American gods. Things are happening. Exactly. Yeah. It's like almost any Neil Gaiman protagonist yeah. is not the protagonist. They are there to bear witness. But at the same time, uh, she, she, I think she did a fine job. She was in a oh, weird did, situation, yeah. and she yeah. came to terms with it fairly quickly. And she went, she's like, okay, we're here. I want to go home. Let's make this yep. happen. She Mad Maxed very well, where she is an <laughs> observer who also contributed. <laughs> Yeah, no, she she really was. It was just there was a fantastical stuff was happening, and she joined in. She contributed. She was part of her story. She figured out how to you know to deal with the Goop children. She you know saved Bosco. She figured out that it was like oh the Queen is the Oracle, mm-hmm. and the Oracle you know is this this light globe. You know, she figured out a lot of stuff. She knew what was going on. It was also the main fact where it was just like who else is you know it showed the other kids. None of them were cleaning out their pockets of their new costumes. Yeah. So Katie immediately was like, well, if this is going to be my new suit, even though I like my old suit, I'm going to make it mine. I'm going to clear it out. I'm going to get somebody else's possessions, and they are going back to the original owners. And I'm like, I totally respect that. So, yeah, Katie aces the entire way. Yep. Totally star, star kid. Yeah, she was a star pupil. Well, we've got a star pupil. Let's go ahead and find where this book lands on our list. We now have this all-star list that goes from 1 to 53. With one, we've got X-Factor Annual number two. Somewhere in the middle, around spot number 40, we've got Power Pack 37, that's Seeing the Light, where the kids meet Rebecca. Going up a little bit higher, around number 20, we've got Power Pack 13, which is Fireworks. And then, of course, at the top of the list, Mr. Bogdanov's book, Revenge of the Boogeyman, Power Pack number 42. Do not think that this is this high, but I am up here a ways. I know that we've got... Let's talk a little bit about Power Pack number 13, which is fireworks. That's the baseball game where that's where the old player wants to blow up the stadium. That's a good one that involves all of the all of the kids. Yes. I think that this is a little bit better than that, but I think that we're in the I right... I fully agree. I think we're in the right area here. We have another one with just Katie, and that's Wish Upon a Star, Power mm-hmm. Pack number 24. That's when... I think it's a bit higher than that. Yeah, it's better than that. Okay. Here's, here's a good one, and this is a number 15, but I think that this is a really good one. The 12th. This is where Master Wolf hunts down and attacks mm. Frank, who's sleeping over mm-hmm. at the powers. This is a good one. It's got great mm-hmm. art. It's a great uh, John Bogdanov one. I think that this is about where we're going to be looking at here. I could see that. And I think that this is the right place for it, because I'm looking above it, and I'm like, we've got the long... we got snark attack and power play which power play is number one i think power number one is better than this underneath master mold one the uh, the 12th is trapped power pack mm-hmm. number 22 which is the kids go sledding and alex and johnny rival have a fight and i think that this is better than that so i'm just wondering okay. if it goes above or below the 12th man that 12th one was pretty great yeah possibly just for art alone it had some neat stuff yeah 
I think that this goes very nicely as the new number 16th, right between the 12th and Trapped. I think that that's... I could, yeah. I think that's a good place for this one, because I, I think I think the 12th has got... We got more stuff going on. It's got Master Mold. It's got some great fights. Yeah. It also has all the kids yeah. involved, plus Franklin. Yeah. So I could 100% agree with that. I can easily be swayed into that. So let's make this the new 16th. Yeah. Nice, nice, nice right. consensus we got going on there. Let's move on down to some, uh, might not be consensus, but it's going to be our own feelings on mm -hmm. rainbows and Here. unicorn. Yeah. I like rainbows and unicorns. Uh -huh. I don't care who, I don't care who knows it. I'm willing to stand on that hill and die for it. I like rainbows and unicorns. Of course, this beer is uh, also named that, and it's a little different. It's... I have uh, emptied my bomber out into my cup, and my cup is almost empty, so... But that is not new for you. Yeah, I drink <laughs> beer. I enjoy it a lot. What, what What are your thoughts on this one, Rick? I want to say that I I like this one. I do enjoy okay. this one. It's been sitting a little too long. It's getting a little you know, warmer, so it doesn't okay. have some of the punch that it had earlier, but... I'm still getting some of the taste. I think this beer has tasted good. I think it's a really solid IPA. I want to say it's about a three and a half for myself. I am exactly on board with that. That's what I was going to say as well. Three, five. Mm -hmm. It's not my most favorite thing. I am enjoying it. I've been drinking it down pretty good. It does smell nice. It is a mild IPA and the, the fruit notes in it really, really help sell it. I would drink it again. Oh, I definitely would drink this again. If, totally. Yeah. I, I would show people the label. I would always push people towards Breakside Brewery because I like what they do. But yeah, three, five. Yeah. Three and a five for me, too. 3.5. Thank you very much, Breakside Brewery, for giving us another good beer once again, Rainbows and Unicorn, and it's a beautiful artwork. And uh, thanks again to John's Marketplace, which if you're in Portland and you want to find a beer, definitely go to John's Marketplace and be sure to wear your mask. All right. Always wear a mask. <laughs> you know who doesn't need to wear a mask when they're talking, though? Who? You and your daughter when you're doing Kids Perspective. In the house. In the house. And that is where Rick talks to his nine-year-old daughter, Carrie, and she gives us her perspective on the issue that we just covered. So, Carrie, we would love to hear what you have to say about this issue. Good afternoon, Carrie. How are you today? Good, and you? I'm doing very well, thank you very much. Are you ready to talk about a fun, fun comic? Yes, and also a very interesting one, too. Yes, it is. So why is this fun and why is this interesting? What did you get out of this comic? Well, for one thing, first it starts out portrait, but then the rest of the book is landscape. And then we go back to portrait. Very nice job. And that is a very good way of describing it, Carrie. Very nice. Thank you. What did you think about that uh, style of reading the comic? It was fun. I was Sometimes I turned it um, portrait even though the characters were face. Well, some of the characters were facing landscape because, honestly, it looked kind of cool how you, how you just saw them kind of crawling over the guards and stuff. <laughs> so you kind of like that then, I take it. Mm-hmm. Was it hard for you to figure out how to read it or did you kind of get it? Um, I think I got it, most of it. Wasn't too complicated for you to figure out? Alex said they should f switch their costumes around. Mm-hmm. When Kitty was going into her costume, her new costume, she turned out to be an elsewhere. And elsewhere is a little crazy, huh? Yeah. I mean, her rainbow trail solid. Yeah, that's one of the things. Anything else that's really weird about that place? Rocks. What'd you think about them? They were kind of a little strange at first, and I thought they were going to be mean, but they're actually really kind of nice. Yeah, they, they ended up being nice. And why were they nice, though? Because Katie left them 
a rainbow candy trail. <laughs> yes, they. Yes, she did. Yes, she did. What else did you like about Elsewhere? Well, Bosco was kind of cute. Yes, he was. He was kind of cute. He was a nice, uh, nice character to be introduced, right? Yeah. So overall, did you enjoy this one? Yeah, it's a nice issue. It was kind of fun, wasn't it? Yeah. Is there any part of the book that you really, really liked? I kind of liked it when um, we saw like all these little guys running around the house. Those were the goops. Oh, the goops? Yes. You know what? I actually noticed something. When um, Katie was pouring out all the objects from Julie's costume, uh-huh. I saw a book that said goops. That's right. That's an actual book. So when her dad was talking about that at the beginning, he was talking about an actual book that was written back in the early 1900s. Julie had a copy of that book that she had in her pocket. And inside elsewhere, there were kids that were representations of the goops. Kind of cool, huh? Yes. When I was a kid, I did not know that. I did not put all that together. It took me being an adult to figure that out. And I'm still a little bit confused about it, but... <laughs> I'll figure it out someday. We can talk about it later then. Yeah. Or you can listen to our show where we talk about it. Yes. <laughs> you mentioned the rocks on the cover. You liked the rocks, didn't you? Yeah, they're cute. <laughs> oh, this is a kind of the first time I noticed it on the cover. One of the rocks is biting into the rainbow trail. That's because it tastes so good. Yeah, it's rainbow candy trail. <laughs> and on that note, I think we should end. Thank you very much for your time, Carrie. Welcome. I love you. I love you too. Shout out time! We like to recognize those listeners who take the time to write in or leave us a review. This is for episode 58 where we read issue number 45 with Carrie and we interviewed Juliana Jones, the author of the issue and the daughter of Louise Simonson. So, these are the people that gave us a like or a thumbs up. Aaron Rausch. AJ. Al Sedano and Resurrections, an Adam Warlock and Thanos podcast. Amy Fox. Brenda Parsons. Charles Gears. Charlie Rose. Chris at BTO Bat Books. Cindy Heineken. Damian Drought Witter. Ed 209. Gary Key. Gibson Gray. Hal Jordan. Hoover Jeremiah. Jeff Bullier. And he says this is one of his favorite issues. He uses the same types of lists that Julie makes. Jeremy Wiggins. Juliana Jones. Thank you again so much. Thank you, thank you, thank you. June Brigman. Longbox Crusade with Pat Sampson. Louise Simonson. Matthew Fenner. Max Trevor. New Warriors Talk. Nicholas Prom and the Comic Reflections Podcast. Robert Earhart. Sean and the Secret Wars and Beyond Podcast. Socially Dismal, who told us that he likes every one of our episodes. Tim Hawkinson. Tim Price, the Podcrasher. Walt Simonson. The worst comic podcast ever with Colin Stapleton. Please be sure to check out the other shows that we are on, including our junior agent submissions on MI6 Rookie Agents episode of On Her Magic's Secret Podcast. Also, be sure to check out an upcoming show on the Longbox Crusade called Monthly Monday Movie Muckabout, which stars yours truly. <laughs> I'm not part of that. You don't need to listen. <laughs> and we... <laughs> no, listen to it. I'm sure it's going to be fun. And we have some merchandise available on Redbubble. Go to redbubble.com and search for Unpacking the Power of Power Pack. 
recorded in front of a live studio audience of all of Rick's stuff from work in Portland, Oregon. If you would like to interact with us through the magic of the internet, you can do so through Twitter at Jeff and Rick Present, our Facebook page, Jeff and Rick Present, our email address, Jeff and Rick Present, all one word, at gmail.com, or at our website, Jeff and Rick Present.wordpress.com. Also, our YouTube channel is at Jeff and Rick Present. And if you would like to help support our show, we are on Patreon. You can find us at patreon.com. Jeff and Rick present, all one word. We are also a proud supporter of the Hero Initiative, and we will be donating 10% of our Patreon donations to this great cause. We encourage everyone to give what they can to this worthwhile organization that helps the creators who provide us with such great content. Go to heroinitiative.org to find out more. Please rate and review us wherever you can. Tell your friends about us or share your love for us on social media. And as always, we want to thank the powerful people in our packs. My wife Cindy and our daughter Carrie. My fiance Hillary and our daughter Aurora. We, we love, love you. you. Until next time. Hey, wait. Earlier you said we have a special guest coming up in a couple of episodes. Who is that? Uh, well, John Bogdanov. Who else? <laughs> what? Costumes off! Our theme music is 80s action. Also featured in this episode is Past the Edge. Our music is by Kevin McLeod at Compitech.com and is licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution for a four-year license. Franklin is a boy genius. Franklin is a boy genius. Son of a genius. Franklin. Poor snapping. I got no beat. Club. Hour pack time. I'm playing my stomach. Yeah, that is that's the instrument everybody brings with them. Club. Welcome, dear listener, to our podcast. Jeff and Rick present unpacking the power of power pack. I am Jeff. Well, I skipped a spot. How many of these have we done? I should know this by now. Uh, at least 61. At least 61. Okay. Club. Uh, enjoying a nice family breakfast with some mass... Yeah. I'm like, mass nachos. That is not the word. Club. Buy a mob of Mr. Clean lookalikes. Club. <laughs> Apparently angry Mr. Clean lookalikes. I liked your... <laughs> I can't get this one if I have to wrestle it to the ground and eat it. Club. Have you thought of a Bosco voice yet? Not yet. Working All on right. it. All right. 2, 2, 1, go. Sorry, kid. Glub. Er, we're not baby scissors. Baby scissors. Glub. This is going to be a long night. Nope, that's not right. <laughs> Wild and crazy cleaner, Captain. <laughs> Glub. Nice. <laughs> Very nice. Yes, that's what a cube is. A Rubik's cube is literally a cube. But it turns. It's in the name. It turns. Yes, it turns. It turns. And it's colorful. And it's odd. And when you it's get, confusing. And when you get frustrated with it, you break it apart and put it together the right way. Yeah, which I have you've... never, ever, ever done. Oh, I have no idea how to pull out that uh, middle uh, <laughs> angle piece and then have everything else fall apart and then you just put it back together. I have no idea how to do that. I know, and I I don't know anybody from elementary school that would uh, just remove the stickers and put them back on. But that always seemed like stickers are gonna just fall off ad hoc at that stage so pulling out that middle square was always the way to go glub <laughs> pop quiz hot shot why are you hurtful to me why are you so mean i don't even have a gun i'm not gonna shoot you i just want to know why are you so mean you make me sad yeah dodge duck and weave serpentine serpentine <laughs> oh yeah oh yeah check this out check out this move 
you can't see me. (laughs) (laughs) The world doesn't exist anymore. No one loves me. Club. Jeff and Rick present is a bi-weekly self-produced podcast recorded in front of a live studio ox. A studio ox. Recorded in front of a live studio.